My name is Dan Brown. We're here today with a lens a day interviews, or excuse me, conversations about information architecture. And today I get to talk to the marvelous Peter Morville. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm real happy to be here. Uh, so I've been starting out these conversations talking about process, because I think IA process is one of these things that um, almost seems like uh, magic, right? People don't really understand how it works or what we do. Uh, and so uh, if you could talk to me a little bit about, from your perspective, why is it hard to bring people into the process? What about the IA process makes it difficult to bring people along for the ride? Yeah, so when it comes to information architecture, I think that the, the most important part is the whole. Uh, and it's also the most difficult to explain. Uh, so, you know, people can get, you know, it's, it's easy to talk with clients about, oh, we need, we need to have our taxonomy fixed, right? We want, the, we want you to fix the taxonomy. Um, and, you know, that's usually part of the problem, but there are usually a lot of other problems that are all connected and related. Um, and it, 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 explaining the whole of information architecture would be a challenge in any context um, because, right, you have to talk about all the parts and how they're connected. You have to get a little bit into systems thinking. You have to kind of look at the longer term perspective of how is this going to evolve over time. So it would take time to explain this in any context. It's particularly hard now in the context of business culture, modern business culture, because um, there is an antipathy towards systems thinking, long-term thinking, looking at the whole, right? People just want to take apart, fix it, you know, <laughs> and move on, <laughs> you know, declare victory and move on. Um, so, that's the challenge is figuring out where in the process do you explain the whole without activating the immune response where people are like, oh, this is too, you know, you know, if you do it in sales, you might never get the project, right? Because you're making this sound too big and complex and messy. Um, you know, if you do it at the beginning of the project, you might lose stakeholders and buy-in. And if you wait till the end, people are like, why didn't you tell us? <laughs> Right. So I'd say that's a challenge is figuring out how to gradually um, and, and compassionately help people see the bigger picture without overwhelming. Um, I love that. I do you think when you talk about the big picture, are you talking about things that are um, still, let's call them IA related concerns, or are you talking about the fact that IA touches things that might not be considered IA concerns. Like, okay, we're going to start to redo your taxonomy, but what that ends up doing is sort of touching a nerve over in human resources or, you know, how the company is organized or um, the, you know, overall corporate culture. Is it, when you talk about kind of understanding the whole, is it at that scale that you mean? Yeah, it's both. So, you know, first of all, when someone says, come and fix my taxonomy or come and fix my search, right? It's like, well, you know, let's look at organization, labeling, structure, you know, 
search, navigation. Let's look at the whole of kind of what you might think of as polar bear information architecture. Um, and, and that's complex enough, right? Like that's intellectually challenging to kind of wrap your mind around how all of those different IA systems connect. Um, and, you know, but then you start kind of inching beyond IA into content strategy and to workflow and to IT. Hey, you've actually got the wrong technologies. Like you're not gonna get very far with this content management system or this search engine. Um, and so, yeah, and that's where you start hitting nerves um, where you're kind of getting outside the boundaries of your client's purview. Um, and, and, they, and folks start to realize, wow, like to really fix this, we would have to collaborate <laughs> you know, as a whole organization. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that's where, that's where you might get some pushback. <laughs> um, I feel like I have to ask you in particular, a question about sort of change over time. Um, uh, you know, as let's call you one of the instigators of information architecture, the person who helped all of us tame the polar bear, so to speak, what, uh, or at least one of those folks, what, what do you think has been the biggest change in, let's not say IA as a whole, but IA process? What, what do you feel like um, has changed from when we were doing this in the 90s to today, over the last 25 years? What about the process is different today than it was, say, when we were all kind of getting started in this field? Yeah. So, you know, Definitely when Lou and I were starting out in 1994, um, you know, just beginning to do some of this stuff, um, there was no map, right? There, there, there were bits and pieces from other disciplines that we could borrow from library science, from human computer interaction. Um, but we really were making it up as we went along. And, you know, I would say between the mid nineties and maybe 2010, there was a tremendous creative period where, you know, there were a lot of folks in our community, kind of the broader UX community, um, who were contributing new techniques and ways of doing things. And we were thinking very actively about what's the order of operations, what, you know, what comes first, stakeholder interviews or user research. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we've stagnated. I don't, I haven't seen a lot of evolution in that area for a while now. Um, but you know, from from the '90s to, to 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 today, there was this this rapid period of 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 learning and developing a better methodology for doing the work. Um, the other the other thing that's changed, it's not necessarily so specific to process, although it absolutely affects process. Is in in the in the late '90s, we got to do information architecture without much. Um, uh, without, without executives meddling, right? Like, you know, people would just have a little bit left over in their budget at the end of the, end of the year. And they'd be like, yeah, let's go do a website. And, and, and we could focus on the kind of the technical aspects of information architecture, right? Just like, how do we create a great, you know, structure for search and navigation and finding and understanding. Nowadays, where websites and software have become central to the business mission, right? Um, you know, we now have a seat at the table, right? We now get to, you know, meet with CEOs and executives and, 
Um, but, but what that means is that now politics and, and kind of working with stakeholders across different departments has become the challenge, right? Um, and so our process has to integrate leadership um, uh, and, and a variety of stakeholders into the process. And we have to listen to them because you know, any solution that doesn't recognize the political realities is going to fail. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, it, it, the, the technical elements of just understanding how to build a good information architecture really only half of the challenge now. Right, right. I feel like, um, like we've always been wrestling with the what goes on the homepage and uh, challenge. Like that feels like, uh, you know, I've been thinking about that problem for as long as I've been doing this. And that's sort of a microcosm of what you're talking about, where as the acknowledgement that IA and the concerns of IA sort of touch all aspects of the business and is sort of woven into the business that many, many more of the design decisions that we want to make uh, have a, let's call it sort of political component to it, as you're, as you're saying. Um, so that uh, the big battle that I used to fight is what goes on the homepage, but now it feels like, and I don't want to frame it in terms of battle because I like having multiple perspectives. I like having that seat at the table. I like, I like that the executives are uh, involved, but it does make the process um, far more nuanced, let's say, um, than, uh, than it used to be where we could sort of focus our, as you were saying, our, on the con technical concerns. Did, yeah, I frame, I, did I get what you were saying? Yeah, and I, and I like that you made the point of saying that you, you kind of enjoy that part of it because, you know, like, as I've gotten older um, and, 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 and been doing this for long enough, um, I do think I shifted from earlier on, I viewed, you know, these, you know, these sort of political challenges as more as, as, as kind of an unwanted intrusion, right? Like I just want to do the work. Um, and in recent years, I would say sometimes that's the most fun part of it. it it's like, you're trying to figure out how to move the organization forward, how to do something positive, but, you know, you know, I, I remember back in library school, one of the professors kind of talked about the value um, of embracing your constraints, right? Instead, instead of sort of, you know, muttering and being mad about this, the constraints, like actually embracing them. And, you know, I, I think I've gotten a lot better at that. And I, and I really enjoy um, the new the new wrinkles, the new challenges that get thrown in with some stakeholder coming in. I mean, it's like, it has, we, we've got to do it. We got to do this. It, it's got to accommodate this. And that kind of makes it fun because that way, because you can't, you can't just do the same thing you did last project, right? It's like, okay, this is going to be new. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. And, and in some ways I'm learning as a, you know, middle-aged uh, white man to understand that it was a certain amount of privilege that I had to sort of see the political side of this as back in the, those days, uh, see the political side of this as um, challenging. And now I understand that's the work, right? That's the essential part. We have to acknowledge uh, the political side of this because of the uh, downstream implications uh, of the design choices 
um, yeah. that that we make. So one of the I think hard parts uh, of doing the design work of information architecture is that we sometimes are uh, compelled to come up with labels that don't necessarily fully explain what's what's in the structure, right? That the structure is um, uh, the the way we have to represent the structures we design are sort of hopelessly incomplete. And one of the techniques uh, that uh, I've used uh, on occasion is to include uh, descriptions or examples. And so the lens uh, that we picked for you is uh, descriptors and exemplars. And I wonder if you might sort of describe what that means to you in your own words and what resonates with you about this lens. Yeah, so I mean, I think this lens gets at um, really the heart of information architecture um, because so so one of my favorite talks at the IA summit slash conference um, I don't remember who who the speaker was but I loved the title of the talk it was it, um, it was um, words are the interface and that's a very powerful statement it's something that people completely seem to miss so much of the time. <laughs> the power of words to define whether or not an interface is usable. Um, you know, so, you know, information architecture, um, you know, um, certainly the, the most traditional definition of information architecture, um, then language and classification are at the core. And, um, and anyone who's spent any time doing this knows, you know, that while language is tremendously powerful, um, when you have to reduce down to a, a one or two or three word label to signify a whole body of content or knowledge, right? Um, it, it's so fraught with problems, right? It's like, it's so open to misinterpretation. It's so hard to capture the richness of a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 documents or objects with three words. Um, and so, so I remember back in the you know, relatively early days, there was some really interesting research. This was around the time when Yahoo was pretty popular and they were trying to figure out how do you organize this massive, you know, sort of taxonomy, you know, of all the world's knowledge. And, and there was research that was done quite well that showed the value of presenting um, sample subcategories under each top level category, right? So it's like, here's a top level category and here's three or five or seven subcategories. You can't show them all because there's like 30, but you show a few. And that was the most effective way of helping people to understand what's behind door number one, right? Like people tried, you know, full definitions and sentences describing and it, those did not work as well as the exemplars, right? Here's some of the examples of what you'll find here. And I think that, um, you know, I often on information architecture projects, I have to push for that because folks like clean interfaces, right? Like let's have less words and more pictures um, and or more white space. And yet it's those words that that provide people with a scent of information, right? Like, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a sense of what, what's hidden under here. So yeah, I think this, this gets right to the heart of certainly designing information architecture for, 
finding and understanding. I love that you brought up Yahoo because that was definitely what I had in mind when I wrote this lens. I think people forget that before we had Google, we had Yahoo and Yahoo's approach was not so much search, but was to literally index every site on the internet. And the homepage of Yahoo used to be, as you said, sort of this taxonomical table of contents. And I very clearly remember, uh, you know, it had a big category and then it had a number of subcategories underneath. And I mean, this was even before I was calling myself an IA, uh, but I understood that there was something genius about sort of um, opening the box a little bit so I could get a sense of what was inside before I opened the box uh, all, all the way. Do you see, like, uh, do you see examples of that today? Have you, have you worked on example, uh, worked on uh, projects where you've been able to do that kind of thing more recently, or have you seen good examples on the internet of that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I can't point to specifics off the top of my head, but, um, you know, what I find is it's, for me, it's usually a negotiation where like, you know, when I create my wireframes or sketches, they tend to have a lot more exemplars on them than anyone will ever allow. <laughs> and, 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 and sometimes folks will look at it and be like, oh my goodness, this is like that. It's a wall of text. Like it's too much. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, you know, you, it's easier for you folks to, you know, when, when you sort of work with your designers, it's easier to take away, right, than to add. So it's a negotiation. We'll find a balance point. Um, but usually, you know, I managed to get some exemplars in there. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, quite a while back, um, I worked with the National Cancer Institute um, and, 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 the, and I had some success getting exemplars into that um, homepage. Um, and that was one of those examples of a project where like, like that, they didn't touch that website for more than 10 years, right? Like pretty much like, I mean, you know, there were, there were like light, you know, kind of graphic design refreshes and stuff, but like pretty much that information architecture held up for, for more than a decade. And I was starting to get worried because like sites should evolve over time. <laughs> I'm like, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm proud that you've stuck with it, but maybe you should be evolving it. And then, of course, they did a massive, complete, responsive redesign, kind of like, you know, aim, you know, trying to sort of, you know, cater more to mobile and, and did a lot of damage in the process. So I'm not sure there's too many exemplars left. <laughs> One of my uh, favorite examples these days uh, is most uh, streaming services. And what, I, what we find, I think, there is where, where in the old days, Yahoo's um, categories showed some of the subcategories. But in streaming services, what we see is actual content being elevated. Um, and I have to imagine that while some of that content is elevated because, you know, it matches my profile of, you know, that they know I would like that. And some of it is elevated because they know it's popular, I would hope that sometimes that content is elevated because it is a good example of uh, the category, right? It's, you know, like um, 
you can see on some of these streaming services some pretty obscure categories like I don't know satirical period pieces or you know satirical uh, period dramas, right? And then seeing some of the content get elevated that helps me zero in on that. One of these changes that I think we've seen over time is an elevation of individual pieces of content as exemplars, perhaps because the technology has become more sophisticated, or because um, and because the algorithms have become more sophisticated. I mean, just to get down to brass tacks in terms of like these two strategies of elevating subcategories or exposing individual pieces of content, what do you see as the sort of risks and challenges with, yeah. with each of those approaches? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there are pros and cons. Um, elevating subcategories, um, probably you get a little more bang for the buck because you're, you're highlighting bigger collections and kind of concepts, you know, um, you know, when you're elevating individual pieces of content, um, you know, any one piece of content is probably not representative of much else. <laughs> um, and so you get a, you get a, a little taste or flavor and it's kind of, it's fun from a serendipity perspective. I'm not sure it helps communicate what else is here. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a mix, you know, it depends on the context, but, uh, you know, a mix, you know, can be very interesting. Um, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to do my, my sort of my old, my, my kind of old man kind of um, rant though, that uh, there are, there are multiple evenings where I sit down to watch like Netflix or Amazon and whether it's on my laptop or on the Roku, and I'm just like muttering to whoever's with me, like, how can it be so bad? Like, like, like we have known how to do this stuff for so long. And there's, these are like billion dollar corporations. And, and this, this is like, their, this is their one job. <laughs> it's so bad. It or like I, yesterday, yesterday, I, I, I had watched a movie two nights ago and I was talking to our daughter and I thought you would, you would really like this. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm like, now what, let me just look it up. I could not find the movie I watched yesterday, the day before. Like, <laughs> um, and that seems like the perfect example uh, or exemplar of a category of movies that Peter should watch, right? It's like, hey, you just watched this. I, I um, find the behaviors that they want to encourage in those services are not the behaviors that I exhibit, right? It, it was um, uh, whenever I want to try and find a specific, like I'm always looking for a specific episode because maybe I've missed mm -hmm. several of the episodes. So I want to go back to the one, but they always want to show me the latest episode. Yeah. And I'm like, now I got to figure out how to get to the list of episodes. And that feels very buried. So here we are now complaining about information architecture, which I think a lot of IA conversations descend into. Um, so uh, I just want to put you on the spot about one more thing. You are now um, the proud, uh, and let me know if it's okay to talk about this, but the proud father of a second generation UX person. What advice are you giving Claire as she sort of embraces this fields is she uh are, are there things are there bits of wisdom that you can pass on to her or even maybe things that don't seem very wise but are very important uh 
to help her kind of acclimate uh, and uh, get her feet wet in this field? Yeah, good question. Um, happy to answer, um, but there's kind of a funny twist here. So, um, you know, up until about two years ago, Claire had no interest in what I did, you know, like refused to read the polar bear book or anything else I wrote. Then, then like she kind of got into the high school, um, like the second half of college and, and, and sort of like, she actually called me and said, dad, I found a new major because she switched from computer science. It's called UI UX. And I'm like, you do know that's kind of close to IA. And she was not happy about that. Like, oh no, I was trying to avoid what you do. Um, so the last few years, she's been, you know, learning that stuff in school. She, she was one of the co-chairs for the IA conference, as you know. And so she got kind of, and it looked like she was heading that direction. Well, as, as the end of her um, college kind of, um, you know, the school, the year came to a close and she was job hunting, she did a pretty big pivot into crisis management. Oh, wow. Okay. So she's now working at a crisis management consultancy and response and recovery. Her goal is when there's a crisis, she wants to go towards it. <laughs> um, As a father myself, I can understand why that would maybe give you a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> yes. But, we, but we've had some really fascinating conversations about the intersection of information architecture and crisis management. Okay. And it's one, it's, for me, it's one example of where I think there's a, there's a tremendous amount of of fodder for, for articles, for talks, for, for actual, for real work, if we can sort of, you know, I mean, I love to talk about information architecture as just a very broad subject, but I think looking at these points of intersection open up whole new conversations, right? Like how does IA and crisis management come together? And it's like, wow, you could have a whole conference just on that. Here, that was great. Thank you so much for joining me on this little endeavor. I really appreciate it. Sure, happy to talk.